0: You ever seen one of these beauties? Oh, yeah. I'm I'm afraid to do tricks because I'm afraid it's going to fly right out and hit Ryan right in the forehead. And then we're going to have like a David and Goliath scenario going on here. Maybe I'll try. Here we go. I'll tell you, back in the day, back in junior high, my buddies and I walked down the street. We were looking pretty fly with our yo-yos. There was even a girl that talked to us once. <laughs> Pretty exciting. Life can be a little bit like this, can't it? It's up, it's down, it's all over the place. And uh, it's not just our emotions, it's it's uh, it's the events that happen in life. I mean, it's, it's, sometimes we wake up in the morning and we look in the mirror and we're just like, this <sighs> is is going to be a rough day sometimes we have those days at work where it's just feels like everything is crumbling and and the next it's it's you're on top of the world you got a high five from your boss sometimes it's just our basic outlook on life you turn on the news and you see the tragedies and it's just not just one tragedy it's multiple tragedies back to back to back, and you go, oh my goodness, what is happening here? We're up, we're down, we're all over the place. You know, but it, it, all of that's not that troubling to me. It's not that surprising to me, given that we are imperfect people living in an imperfect post-Genesis 3 world, Right? We should expect these kind of things, expect these kind of days, expect life to just be out of control all over the place. But the thing that is really troubling to me is when I find that yo-yo effect in my faith, in my trust and obedience to God. I know that I should trust in the Lord with all my heart. Lean not on my own understanding. In all my ways, acknowledge him and trust that he's going to direct my path. But that doesn't always happen. It doesn't always happen. Sometimes it feels like my faith is just on a string and it's rising and plunging down. When I know that my faith should be more like like an escalator ride. It's going one direction. It's going up constantly ever rising ever growing ever strengthening ever making me more Christ like why can't i be more steady why can't i be like those people that i see on social media they seem like they got their lives all together Every single day I see these pictures, everyone's just having a great time. They're out there camping, they're out there painting their homes, they're out there having fun with their kids. Their hair is perfect, they're always smiling. Man, I want my life to be like that. Why can't my life to be, be more like those guys, those heroes of faith I see in Hebrews 11? These guys killed it. They were all out, sold out for, for God, and they were doing amazing things, and they're recognized in God's word as just pillars of faith. Why can't I be more like that? Why am I always up and down? You know, I, 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 when we look at the book of Genesis, and we see Moses' account of the life of this guy, Abram, I think that's a real gift to us. It's a gift To us because this guy was a mess sometimes and at other times he's looking pretty good but you know there's no no putting hanging pictures over the holes on the wall of his life there's no covering it up no moses pulls no punches he just lays it all out there the good the bad the ugly it's all there for us to see thank god for that and that's what we've kind of experienced in the last couple of weeks. We experienced that last week at we, as we looked at the famine that hit the land. And it moved uh, uh, Abram down to Egypt. And he made some decisions that had some consequences down there. And it was not looking good. Really? Is this the guy that God has called to start his people off? You're going to work through him? This this liar, this deceiver, this guy who, who's trying to, to scheme and, and make things work for him? It doesn't seem right. The problem we said last week was that it wasn't so much, there's not so much wrong with trying to solve the problems that we face in life, trying to make our lives better, but but... The problem lied with what we didn't see here, and that was we didn't see any evidence of Abram trusting God. We didn't see a- any evidence of him coming to God and saying, God, there's a famine here. I've got all these people. How am I going to feed them? Will you help me? I know that you are a God can do, who can do great things. I trust you, Eilina. We don't see that anywhere. No record of him asking God for help, and it got him into all kinds of bad. And, you know, I'm guessing that I'm not the only one in this room who finds myself being a lot like Abram. I mean, the pages of my life are marked up with all kinds of moments where I've given into lies, especially that one that says, I've got this. I don't need anyone else's help. I can do this on my own. I can assess the problems. I can devise the solutions. I can execute strategies. And I can achieve those results. Moments where the trials come. And I should have, I should have looked at those trials as opportunities to rely on the one who is enduringly faithful. But instead, they were just seen as obstacles that I need to overcome. In the Christian life, it could be a lot like a yo-yo. It's up and it's down and it's all over the place. But you know, as we continue to pursue God and as he does his sanctifying, his his transforming work inside of us, my hope is that my life will look more like a yo-yo going up and down, but at the same time, I'm on that escalator. And so it's going up and down. But through every one of my failures and successes, the Lord is changing me. He's shaping me into the person that He wants me to do. Ever, ever growing my faith, ever refining, ever restoring me, continually shaping me to look like Him. It may not be a steady climb, but God is patiently faithfully transforming me and you, if you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ into the person that he wants us to be. And that's what we see here in chapter 13. The yo-yo comes back up. This is a great chapter. Abram had a moment where he gave in to doubt, but you know, God still had hold of his heart. He had not forgotten where his hope was found. He returns to the faith, that had once fueled his life. And as he does, we're going to see the dramatic impact it has on how he faces the next trial that comes his way. If you haven't opened your Bibles, let's turn to Genesis 13 together, and we're just going to kind of gradually go through the passage together this morning. But begin by looking at Genesis 13, verse 2. It says this, Now Abram was very rich in livestock In silver and in gold. Abram Abram was not your average everyday Bedouin of the day. He had quickly become a very, very rich man. And not only did he have female donkeys, he had those camels, remember? So he had the luxury sedans and the supercars at the same time. He was very rich in silver and gold as well, our passage says here this morning. Last week we read that the famine was severe. And the same word is actually uh, used here for, um, it says he was very rich. That word for very in the Hebrew, it means heavy. And it's the same word that was used to describe the famine. The famine was heavy. And now Abram is heavy in riches, in wealth. And I think that Moses is using that word intentionally. He wants us to draw a connection here. He wants us to remember where that wealth came from, how it got there. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit and and the ramifications that has. It's also interesting to remember when the book of Genesis was written. Remember, this was written while Moses and the children of Israel, they were wandering in the wilderness, God had delivered them for 400 years of slavery. They disobeyed him in front of the mountain, and now they're wandering. They're waiting. They're longing to get into the promised land, but God isn't taking them there yet. And I wonder if Moses was writing this account of Abram, and he's thinking of how closely it paralleled what happened to him and his people in Egypt. Look at this. Abram goes down to Egypt because of famine. Joseph's family would come down to Egypt because of famine. Abram has trouble with Pharaoh. The Hebrews certainly have trouble with Pharaoh. They're enslaved, and then he starts wiping out their firstborns. God delivers Abram with supernatural plagues. The Hebrews are delivered By supernatural plagues. Abram leaves Egypt with Egyptian treasures. So do the Hebrews. Pockets full of gold, carts, livestock. They are wealthy people as they leave. Abram returns to the desert and Moses and his people wander in the wilderness. Rather interesting, isn't it? Very interesting. I wonder if the Israelite wanderers were encouraged as they read about Abram. And they thought, you you know, our father Abram, he went through some similar things to what we have been through. And God didn't abandon him. Maybe he won't abandon us. Let's read on. Verse verse 2. And he journeyed on from uh, the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning. Between Bethel and Ai to the place where he had made an altar at the first And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. So Abram, he goes back to the Negev desert. And he returns to that same place where he had previously set up those stones as an altar of worship to God. That area between Bethel and Ai. And again, he calls upon the name of the Lord. In a way, he comes back to God, to his faith in God, and kind of recommits Maybe it was there that he confessed his sin said, God, I've I've made a terrible mistake. I didn't trust you. Maybe he asked for forgiveness. Certainly it was there that he said something like, God, you are God and you alone. I'm not. But I'm here. I am yours. Take all of me. This was a moment of worship. A moment of worship. It was a moment of surrender. A moment where he would mark the calendar and say, fresh start. God's mercies are new every morning. Thank you, God. Worship was pivotal to Abram's faith. At the end of our passage this morning, in verse 18, we're going to see him worshiping again says this in verse 18, So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which, at, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. And so this account, the, the, the account we're going to talk about this morning, it is bookended by worship. Everything that Abram does is framed in by praise to God. His life, the decisions, and the actions... That, that we're about to read are, are fueled by Abram's faith, but that faith was marked by worship. The faith was marked by worship. I think that's one of the things that we need to mark down today. The life fueled by faith is marked by regular worship. And that's one of the reasons we gather here every Sunday morning. Like Abram, we want our lives to be marked by worship. Six days of the week, they are framed in by corporate worship. And really, each and every day should begin and end with worship. Why? Because God deserves it? And not only does God deserve it, but because it strengthens our trust. Strength is our trust in him, reminds us how big, how wonderful, how powerful, how faithful, how good, how loving he is. I don't know about you, I need those reminders. I need them every day. We need it. We need it consistently. We need it desperately so that our faith might be fortified and ready to get us through the trials that may come the next week. Maybe the next day, maybe that very hour. And that's why being here on Sunday mornings has to be a priority for us. It's not because we're trying to uh, make sure that our attendance record is spotless. God's got his checklist. All right, they're in their regular seat. No, it's so that the body of Christ can be strengthened and prepared for the challenges that are gonna come its way. That's why we get up early and spend time with God, even though it hurts sometimes, because it's crucial. And while it doesn't always prevent it. I think it can help reduce the yo-yo effect in our lives. The life that's fueled by faith that's marked by regular worship. After Abram worshiped at the altar near Bethel, he was ready for the next trial. Look at verse 5. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together and there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock at that time the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land as we've mentioned before with Abram is Lot the son of Abram's dead brother he's under Abram's care He's along for the ride. And it's not surprising then that as Abram received all of this wealth from Pharaoh that he, he shared some of it with Lot. So Lot has got possessions and Abram, they've both got tremendous pres- pr- pr- uh, possessions. And they've got livestock. Lot, Lot had his livestock. Abram had his. And this wasn't a couple of donkeys here. It wasn't a few tents. Th- these were herds. It speaks of herdsmen in this passage here. This is like a traveling city. Abram and Lot, they, they have quite an entourage here. This is, this is something that doesn't just pass by in the night. This is, this is huge. It's noticed. It's, it's massive. And don't forget where they're living. They're living in a land where there's already people living there. There's boundaries established there. The land is already being used. Space was kind of at a premium. It was limited, kind of like a crowded restaurant. You order your food, and then you just look around, and you're like, <gasps> I'm not going to find a table here. Am I going to have to eat standing up? Space was limited. And it's interesting, isn't it, that um, the problem that they're facing here came not because the land wasn't producing. This wasn't, we don't have enough food because there's famine in the land. The problem now is brought on because of their wealth. Because of their great possessions. That's interesting, isn't it? We all know the bumper sticker. He who dies with the most toys wins. But in reality, it seems to be the case that the more that you have, the more that you have to worry about what you have. More bills. More insurance. More maintenance, more time. It's more demanding. The trial here, it's somewhat similar to the famine, but it's different. It's caused by their wealth. Abram didn't fare too well in the trial of chapter 12, the trial of famine. But here in 13, things are different. His decisions now would be fueled by faith. Look at verse 8. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen. For we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. We already said unclaimed land was scarce. The livestock must have been getting testy. They need water. They need food. The herdsmen maybe were starting to do underhanded things to make sure that their flocks got what they needed. You've seen some of those old westerns, right? You know how those those battles started there because there wasn't enough land. You're my watering hole. Get out. And that's what's going on here. And things may not have come to a boiling point just yet, but they're getting there. And Abram can see it. Something needs to be done here. And that's when he steps in with a voice of wisdom. He speaks, but he speaks with generosity and kindness, doesn't he? And it doesn't show up in our translation, but twice in the Hebrew, as Abram is talking to Lot, he says, I pray you. He says, Please, please do this. This is not going to be an argument. Abram comes to his nephew on the basis of their relationship. Uh, We're we're family here. Please, let's let's work this out. And family, as you know, they always got each other's back. They're always kind and patient and forgiving with one another, aren't they? They always go the extra mile for each other. That's the way it works in our home. I don't know what's wrong with yours. (laughs) No, that's not the case at all, is it? Families are often not like that. In fact... Often, you'll find families being exactly the opposite. In fact, often the people that you're related to get the short end of the stick. They're the ones who are treated with unkindness. Patience is out the window. Voices, they rare te- uh, they, they rise up. Tempers flare. We treat our family members often worse than people we don't know, even know at all. We take them for granted. We speak to them harshly. Expect them to love us and treat us with respect even when we're not, our behavior is not lovable, not acceptable. And when they disappoint us, when they disrupt us, when they defy us, our very short fuse goes off and we quickly explode. How many of you students out there treat your friends at school, maybe even other adults or teachers Better than you do your parents. (laughs) How many of us adults treat the barista at Starbucks better than we do our spouse or our own kids? See, Abram, he could have been like that. He could have said, Lot, it's my way or the highway, buddy. I'm the head of this house. I am the captain of this unit here. And you will live where I tell you to live. But we don't see that here. Instead, we see him coming with generosity and kindness. Please, Lot, uh, uh, be my guest. Take your pick. Which land do you want here? I'll take whatever's left. That's pretty awesome. Why would he do that? He does it because he has faith. He does it because he has faith. Abram trusted God. God. We're told that time and time again in the Bible. He trusted God. He believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And because he trusted God, he believed God's word. It was confidence in God's word, remember, that drove him out of Ur, the place he knew, the place where he had a life established. He left all of that and he went to a place that he didn't even know where he was going. It was an undisclosed location that God said, I'm going to show you where I'm going to take you. And it was his faith in God that gave him certainty that God was going to come through on the promises that he gave. Yes, I believe. You're going to bless me? I'm going to be a blessing to others? I believe you, God. Remember Genesis 12, 7. God said to your offspring, I will give this land abram believed that he absolutely believed it he believed it so much that he had no no doubt that even if he had gave lot you know this land over here or if he gave anyone any portions of this land ultimately god's promise was going to come true he, he didn't even he didn't have to worry about it because god comes through on his promises and god is going to do what he says god is going to take care of us He's going to come through and give this land to me and my children and their children's children. His faith, it fueled his generosity. It fueled his kindness. His faith in God made him more and more look like the Savior who was going to ultimately come from his family line. Abram looks more like Jesus because of his faith. And this is what I, I grab out of this passage, when I hope we'll all grab out of this passage this morning, that the Christ-like life is fueled by faith. I, I've had conversations with students and even some uh, my own daughter and, and they're wrestling with uh, the, the failures in their life. And, you know, I know I should be good, but I, I just keep choosing this and I, I don't know how to, I don't have how to break the cycle. I don't know, I'm trying really, really hard. And I'll tell them, it's not about the trying hard. Certainly we should try hard. But it's faith in you. It's your trust. It's your knowledge and trust in the promises of God that are going to transform you, that are going to change the motivations of your heart, that are going to free you to act now in a way that God wants you to act. The Christ-like life is fueled by faith in God. What about you? What about me? Do we look like Jesus? Does faith fuel our lives? Why is it that so very often there seems to be this constant struggle to fight and claw, to grab up everything that I can for myself when I know that there are riches unimaginable that are stored up for me? Why is that? Why is it that I keep trying to build paradise here on earth when God has given me a mission for the here and now and paradise is coming? And it's not just a temporary paradise where I need to worry about whether or not uh, termites are going to affect it or famine or or any uh, moth and rust. No, no, I don't have to worry about any of that. It's secure. It's eternal. It's so much better. Why is it? If that is what God has promised me, that I'm in this constant struggle, Ephesians 2 tells us that we don't deserve anything. We don't deserve anything but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him. Seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do you realize that? If you've placed your trust in Christ where you are now positionally sitting in the heavenly places. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. It's amazing. It is absolutely amazing. Abram's faith, it was fueled by faith in God. Isn't that what you want for your life? Don't you want to be free to love and care and give for the good of others as God has so generously given to you? Let faith fuel your life. It's about so much more than getting that uh, get out of hell free card. So much more than that. Your faith, your trust in God that is built upon his word and set on fire by regular worship. It's meant to transform you into the person you were made by God to be, his image bearer, his representative, a person who looks like him, who talks like him, gives like him, forgives like him, who demonstrates to a weary world how supremely good he truly is beautiful thing it is when our faith in God transforms us so that we look just like the ultimate example God gave of himself in Jesus Christ. What an awesome thing that is. Oh, to look like him who, Philippians 2.6, though he was in the form of God, Did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. Thank God he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's what I want my life to look like. One pastor wrote, Fellow believers, Abram's spiritual seed, when we truly believe the promises that are ours in Christ, when we truly understand and believe that we are seated right now in him in the heavenly places, when we understand that all things are ours in Christ, we will cease our grasping. Abram's life was fueled by faith, is yours, is mine. Now, there's a difference between the way Abram is living here and the way Lot is living here. See, Lot seemed like he was still living for the here and now rather than by faith. He responded to Abram's offer by, by getting up and looking around. He, it, it, the, the verbiage here it means that he studied the landscape This was a big opportunity in his mind. He did not want to miss it. He wanted to make the right choice here and pick the place that was absolutely best. Verse 10 says, And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all of the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus, they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. So Lot looks out, and he sees the Jordan Valley, and he said, that's it that is paradise it's not unlike what i've heard about the garden of eden itself in his eyes that land was absolutely heaven on earth it was the obvious choice he you would be almost crazy not to choose that portion that 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 section of land and and yes it was on the edge of the land that god had promised it was actually almost falling off of the edge of the promised land but you know it's worth it that place is amazing and eventually lot would go even farther east outside the borders of canaan on the other side of the river the only real issue that we see here is what we see in verse 13 the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. That's actually quite a statement. That's not a statement to just just brush over and say, well, you know, yeah, but we're all sinners. You know, what's the, you go there, you go here, it's all the same. No, 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 no. This phrasing here is to help us understand that these were sinners on a different level. This was an exceptionally corrupt group of people. The people living in this area, they were more despicable, more depraved, more perverse than most, and we'll discover as we get on to chapter 19, just how depraved they were. But apparently, none of that phased lot. That's OK. It's no big deal. He's so overcome by go overcome by the beauty, how nice everything looks, how perfect by the promise of success that was there, by the overall wealth and prosperity. I'm wealthy now, but just think if I'm living there, just think how much healthier my livestock are gonna be, and they're gonna be breeding all the more, and this is just gonna turn into a mass empire. This is gonna be incredible. So overcome that the neighbors there, well, you know, it's, it's you know, the neighbors, whatever. We'll do our thing. He wasn't even thinking about guarding his faith. He wasn't even thinking about what impact living there might have on his children. I wonder if deep down in his soul, his relationship with God came second to his desire for earthly prosperity. As a youth pastor For so many years, I wondered over and over and over again as I saw parents thinking that it was more important to have their kids play club sports rather than be in church or get the straight A's, study for that SAT rather than hiding God's word in their heart how important it was for their kids to go to that prestigious university rather than, than stay here. You're connected. You are a part of a church that loves you. people who have known you since you were a baby and who will stand by you, who will speak God's word into you, who will hold you accountable, who will be there for you in the difficult moments and help you grow in your relationship with Christ. Oh, no, 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 that doesn't matter. You have an opportunity to go to school at this prestigious university, so that is what matters. You need to get your life together now, and this school, man, or that scholarship, that is what really matters, and it's Do the priorities of our lives show that we are fueled by faith or driven by prosperity or by comfort or by security or extravagance or entertainment, whatever? In the weeks ahead, we uh, we would do well to watch carefully the results that come from Lot's decision here. And his desire for material gain, perhaps over intimacy with God. The way of faith is better. The way of faith can be harder. It'll mean trust. It'll mean patience. But in the end, it's better. Look at verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him. This is so sweet. The Lord says to him, lift up your eyes. And look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. From the place where Abram was, he could see in all directions. And God speaks to him and reiterates his promise to him, this land I'm given to you. What a thrill that must have been. How incredible that must have been to believe God's word all the way back in Ur. Maybe he was up on top of that ziggurat, worshiping the moon, and God called him and said, You need to go. You get out of here. You leave everything. You go to the land I'm telling you to go to. And Abram says, Okay, I'll go. But now to be here, looking at it, the journey's been long. There's been some ups. There have been some big downs. And now, God, you're saying all of this? What? This is incredible. He's looking there, seeing with his own eyes, hearing the Lord say to him, this is all yours, and your offspring are going to be, even though you don't have any kids yet, your offspring are going to be countless. If people could count them, well, then they can can count the number of grains of sand on the earth. It's absolutely amazing. And then God says, go. Go. But this go isn't a go saying, leave it all behind. This go is a go saying, go, check it out. Go travel the length and the breadth of this land. I want you to know what this land is, the land that I'm giving you. And verse 18 says, we've already read it. I'll read it one more time. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. So, Abram once again obeys the word of the Lord, doesn't he? And what does he do as soon as he arrives, as soon as he makes camp? He worships. He worships. Sometimes our lives are a bit like a yo yo. We're up, we're down, we're trusting God. And then we're just stumbling around living as if God doesn't exist. But if our faith is in God, he's ever molding us, ever shaping us, ever strengthening, ever transforming us to look more consistently like Jesus. Let's not let dreams of prosperity, material wealth, or other earthly success fuel our lives. Let's let our faith in God be the thing that fuels us. That's my prayer for us. It's my desire for all of us that we devote ourselves to knowing and trusting God's word and making our lives marked by regular times of worship genuine, heartfelt worship as if from people who deserved nothing and were given everything and that our faith will be strengthened and fuel our lives. A generous life, a kind life, a patient life, a forgiving life, a Christ-like life is fueled by faith in God.